Thank you, Glenn. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 22. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers, Numbers chapter 22. One of the uh, top vote-getters in our favorite Bible stories series was Balaam, and not just Balaam, but Balaam and his talking donkey. And that's the story we're going to look at together this morning. Uh, I'm not going to read the entire chapter since I'm going to be reading a lot of what's in this chapter as we make our way through uh, the sermon, but I do, uh, to set the context, I want to read the first six verses. Numbers chapter 22. Uh, beginning at verse 1. And the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the people of Amah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. It's always a wonderful blessing, um, as we did this morning, to celebrate a baptism. Uh, in baptism, God has placed his mark of ownership on Beckham. In baptism this morning, God has signified and sealed the wonderful promises to Beckham. The promise that, that God will be Beckham's God. The promise that God will never leave or forsake Beckham. The promise that, that God will wash away Beckham's sins through faith in Christ. And the promise that, that Beckham will live forever with Christ. A wonderful gift that is received by faith alone. I know that these promises are, are very dear to Justin and to Nicole. And I know that for all of you parents those same promises are very dear to you because they were also given to your children. And to think that as God's people, all of us, all of us have been given these promises. But here's the thing. We, we know that, that many people break their promises. We know that we too have broken our promises. And, and living in a world of broken promises, a, a, a world where broken promises often seem to be the norm, we might project that on God. And, and we might be tempted to wonder, 
will God really keep all of his promises to me? Our passage this morning is a reminder to us that that God is not just a promise-making God. God is also a promise-keeping God who keeps every single one of his promises. Now before we get into this passage, the, the context is important. Israel has just finished wandering through the wilderness. Children for 40 years, they wandered. They're now super close to the promised land. They've just defeated, back in chapter 21, they've, they've defeated two Amorite kings. And finally, after 40 years, their objective is in sight. They're almost to the promised land. And we come this morning to chapter 22, and there are two things that we want to see. First of all, Balak's plan to curse Israel. And second, God's commitment to bless Israel. Now, as you can imagine, when military victories like the ones in chapter 21 happen, you can imagine that news of these victories over the Amorites is being spread all throughout the region. There's no internet, there's no telephone, there's no, there's no news on TV, but, but this news is traveling. At a certain point, the the people of Moab hear about what's happened. And if you look back in chapter 21, you'll notice what happened. Verse 35 of chapter 21 says, So Israel defeated him, King Og, and his sons and all his people until he had no survivor left and they possessed his land. They wiped out all the people and they took their land. And this news has traveled. This news has spread. And and now the Moabites are terrified. And it makes sense why they would be terrified. They're they're thinking, what are we going to do? Israel has just done this to the Amorites. They're now coming for us. And so the Moabite king, a man named Balak, he decides he needs to do something about this. And, And so he decides he's going to recruit this guy named Balaam, who lives about 400 miles away. Balaam was was some kind of a prophet, more like a sorcerer. In fact, he was known as the the best in the business. He was a a super sorcerer. Interestingly, uh, archaeologists have discovered tablets that date back to the 8th century B.C. that actually reference Balaam as this incredible sorcerer of his day. So he he was renowned all over the region. And, and Balak, King Balak, knows that he needs to find the best guy he can find, the best sorcerer money can buy. Uh, Balak has just heard what's happened in Egypt. Balak has just heard what's happened to the two, two kings in chapter 21, and he thinks he might be next. And so Balak sends some of his top leaders to make the 400-mile trip to recruit Balaam. And they show up on Balaam's doorstep with a message. Notice again verse 6, come now. Curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Balaam, I need you. Balaam, I I need you to put a curse on Israel so that I can defeat them in battle. And, And here's a little money to make this worth your while. Balak 
understood what many people today don't understand. And that is that there is an unseen spiritual world. And, and Balak knows that he needs more than just military weaponry of his day if he's going to defeat Israel and drive them out of the area. And, and so Balak's messengers show up on Balaam's doorstep and they deliver the message. They say, Balak wants you to tap into the unseen spiritual world and he wants you to put a curse on Israel. And he's going to pay you very handsomely to do this. Again, Balak understands that he needs to deal with Israel on a different level. And to do this, he, he needs to get Balaam, the super sorcerer, to manipulate somehow Israel's God so that a curse will be placed on them. You see, there's a lot more to this story than just this guy had a talking donkey. And, and Balaam goes, okay, I, I'm going to need to think about this. This is a big decision for me. Why don't you guys, um, why don't you spend the night and I'll see what the Lord has to say. Now this is really interesting. If you look at verse 8, you'll notice that Balaam says, as the Lord speaks to me. If you have your Bible open, you see that in front of you. It's Lord in all capitals. In the original language, this is God's covenant name. This is the name Yahweh. As Yahweh speaks to me. Now, does this mean that, that Balaam is a follower of Yahweh? Does this mean that Balaam is a follower of the one true God? No. There's nothing in this section of Numbers or anywhere else in Scripture that gives us any indication that Balaam is a follower of Yahweh. All this means is that Balaam knows who he needs to go to. Balaam knows that the God of Israel is Yahweh, and so he needs to go to Yahweh. If it had been Baal, he would have tried to go to Baal. But it's Yahweh, and so he goes to Yahweh, and Balaam says to the Lord, Balak has hired me to curse Israel. And the Lord answers Balaam. He says to Balaam, don't go with Balak's men. Don't curse Israel, because they are blessed. Children, you might remember that all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, he said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then he said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God had promised in Genesis 12 that he would bless Israel, and he's not about to go back on that promise here. And so he says to Balaam, you can forget about that. My people are not cursed, my people are blessed. And so Balaam goes back to Balak's messengers and he says, uh, I'm sorry, but I can't go with you. Yahweh told me not to go. Well, the messengers take the 400-mile trip back to King Balak. They go back home and they give Balak the message, Balaam's not coming. And Balak says, what do you mean he's not coming? I need him. I offered him a whole lot of money to come. I need him here. And so, so Balak decides he's going to throw some more money at Balaam. 
If you can't hire someone the first time, try with a little more money. And so Balak sends a new set of messengers to Balaam with with the offer of more money, and they say to Balaam, look, the king's going to give you whatever you want if you'll do this. You're the guy. You're the the sorcerer par excellence. You need to come. Just come with us and and curse Israel. The king will give you whatever you want. I mean, everybody's got a price, right? Notice Balaam's answer. If you have your Bible open, look at verse 18. Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now you might scratch your head and say, Pastor, you just said that Balaam isn't a follower of Yahweh. But he says right here, the command of Yahweh my God. Here's the thing, though. Balaam is a politician. And the rest of Scripture tells us that Balaam is not a good guy. Balaam's a politician. Yahweh just happened to be the God in the discussion. For the sake of money, Balaam will will declare himself to be the follower of any God. And if Balaam really was a follower of the one true God, he wouldn't have said what he says next in verse 19. Notice he says to the second group of messengers, same thing. Okay, you guys stay the night, and I'm going to go see what the Lord has to say about this. Now, we stop right there. And we have to ask the question, what more did Balaam need to hear? Why did he need to go back to God and, and hear from him a second time? God had already said to Balaam, don't go and don't curse my people. That should have been the end of it. God said it. I'm doing it. Children, shouldn't that be our attitude toward the Bible? Shouldn't that be our attitude toward the things God tells us? He tells us to do something in his word, and we do it. We we follow him out of love and and gratitude for who he is and all that he has done for us. We don't equivocate. We, We don't try to say, well, that's not really what the Bible means. You hear a lot of this today, don't you? Well, that was 2,000 years ago. It doesn't mean the same thing today in our context. We see these debates going on in the church with regard to homosexuality, same-sex marriage, same-sex attraction. I know the Bible says that, but that was back then. That's not really what it means for us today. Balaam is going to go to God and hoping that he will get a different answer this time. Maybe Yahweh will change his mind. Maybe he'll let me go and curse Israel. And then I get this huge payday out of this. Well, this time, interestingly, the Lord says to Balaam, okay, you can go with him, but only do what I tell you to do. And we see now God's commitment to bless Israel. Balaam gets up in the morning, he saddles his donkey, He goes with the leaders of Moab, and and notice verse 22. But God's 
anger was kindled because he went. And you go, wait a minute. I I don't get it. God just told Balaam to go. And now God's angry because Balaam went. How do you explain that? Well, this verse shows us really that God knows what's in Balaam's heart. He knows Balaam's motivation. He knows that Balaam is is doing this for the money. He, He knows that Balaam couldn't care less about Yahweh, couldn't care less about Yahweh's people. He's a false prophet who is only in it for the money. One author writes this. He says, God's permission for Balaam to go did not dis- diminish God's displeasure at Balaam's evil motives. Balaam's motive was not the glory of God. Balaam's motive was the lining of his own pocketbook. That's what motivated him. And we come face to face here with the truth that Scripture tells us over and over again that God is holy. And God is displeased with our sin. Many people picture God as this gentle, loving, grandfatherly sort of person. He he might not like your behavior He might not like what you're doing, but he's not going to make a big deal out of it. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is holy and righteous and just, and in his righteousness he must punish sin. He must punish my sin. He must punish your sin. The the reality is that God's anger is kindled against anyone who is opposed to him. God is angry at anyone who rejects the one true God. Anyone who turns from him is under his divine wrath. If, If you are living in rebellion against God, if your heart is hard toward him, if you're you're busy living your life for yourself without any concern for him, I don't care if you're sitting in church or not. God's anger rests upon you. The the only way to have peace with God is to come to him through faith in Jesus Christ and know that Jesus took the punishment for your sin. You see, Christian, it's, it's not like God just says, well, those are my people, I'll just look the other way. No, he has to punish your sin. He has to punish my sin. But for the believer, for you, brothers and sisters, Your sin was punished 2,000 years ago on the cross. Your penalty was paid. But for anyone living in rebellion against God, anyone living in unbelief, God's anger is upon you, upon any who do not believe. God's anger is upon Balaam because God knows Balaam's heart. What happens next? Well, this is the part we all know, right? Balaam is riding on his donkey. He's going to go see Balak. 
And we're told that the angel of the Lord takes his stand in the way as Balaam's adversary. And so, children, here you have, you have Balaam. He's on his donkey. He's riding along on his donkey. In front of him is the angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand. And the donkey sees this. And the donkey goes, I'm not going anywhere near this being with a sword in his hand. And so the donkey takes off into a field. Now, Balaam has no idea what's going on. Balaam can't see the angel. He doesn't know why the donkey does this. And so he whacks the donkey to get the donkey back on the road. Now, as they're going down the road, here's the angel again, standing where the, where the road narrows between two vineyard walls. And, and the donkey tries to, to squeeze past the angel and, and ends up crushing Balaam's foot against one of the walls. And once again, Balaam whacks his donkey. Well, now the, the angel stations himself on a part of the road that is, is too narrow for the donkey to even pass. And children, what does the donkey do? He just lays down. Balaam can't believe it. He's furious with his donkey. What in the world is this stupid donkey doing? And he whacks the donkey again. And here's the part we all remember. The donkey speaks. Children of the Lord supernaturally, miraculously, gives the donkey vocal cords so that the donkey can talk. And the donkey says to Balaam, what in the world have I ever done to you that would make you hit me three times? Now, if I'm Balaam, I'm doing a double take at this point. What did I eat last night? What's going on in my head? But he responds. He talks back to the donkey. And he says, donkey, you're making a fool of me. In fact, donkey, if I had a sword, I would kill you right now. And the donkey talks to Balaam again. And the donkey says, Balaam, you know me. You, you, you know I'm the same donkey you've ridden your entire life. You know that I don't normally do stuff like this. Now there are two pretty amazing things here. Number one, and most obvious, you've got a talking donkey. We're not used to animals having conversations with us. We might talk to our household pets from time to time. But we're usually not used to them talking back to us. We're not used to seeing this. In fact, in the Bible, did you know that in the Bible, there are only three animals that ever talk? There's the serpent in the Garden of Eden. There's an eagle in Revelation chapter 8. And there's this donkey. And so we're not used to, as we read our Bibles, we're not used to encountering talking animals. But there's a sense in which this really shouldn't surprise us. Children, who made the donkey? God did. 
God made that donkey. God made all things. And and since God is the one who made this donkey, and since God is all-powerful, he can make this donkey do whatever he wants this donkey to do. And so we shouldn't, in that sense, be surprised at this. But there's a second amazing thing here, and that is that Balaam can't see what's going on. Balaam is the great sorcerer. Balaam is the great prophet. Balaam is the best around, the best that money can buy. He's the guy who's supposed to be able to communicate with the unseen spiritual world. But for all of his fame and all of his so-called abilities, he can't see what a donkey can see. He can't see the angel of the Lord. A donkey can see it. But the super sorcerer can't see it. There's a principle here, and it is this. Once again, we see so often throughout the Bible, the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 are true. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. God uses donkeys to shame sorcerers. And he uses us. He uses us who may be nothing in the eyes of the world. He uses us to be the ambassadors for his gospel. Don't ever forget this. You wish you were more well-known or more gifted or whatever it is that we wish we were. God uses simple people like us. God uses things and people the world considers weak and foolish, backwards, confused. He uses us to be those who bear the light of the gospel to this world. At this point, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes. He finally sees the angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand. And he falls down on his face. And probably reluctantly, he comes to the realization there's no point in in fighting against God's clear instructions. There's no point in trying to destroy God's people. Eventually, Balaam shows up in Moab and and Balak comes out to greet him. And, And Balak basically says to Balaam, what took you so long? And if I was Balaam, I would have said, look, you have no idea what I've just been through. You have no idea that, that uh, I, I, my donkey was talking to me. But, but Balaam says to Balak, well, I'm here now, and I can only speak what God tells me to speak. Now, there's more to this story. There's more to Balaam, chapter 23, chapter 24, talk more about Balaam. In fact, in two weeks, when we're in Numbers chapter 25, we're going to look at a little bit more that that Balaam did as a false prophet. But but for this morning and and for this chapter, I I really want to drive two things home to you as we close. Number one is this. There is an unseen spiritual realm. 
There can be no debate about this. The Bible is clear about this on numerous occasions. There is a world that we cannot see. There is a battle that we cannot see with our own eyes that has been raging ever since the fall of man into sin. The question for us this morning is, do we understand what Balak understood? Balak was a misguided pagan. He was an unbeliever. But at the very least, Balak understood that there was a a spiritual realm in which he would try to manipulate Israel's God. Do we understand that? Do, Do we see what the donkey saw? Brothers and sisters, our battle is not ultimately against flesh and blood. Our battle is not ultimately against Starbucks or Disney or CNN, or MSNBC. Our battle is a spiritual battle. Paul says in Ephesians 6, it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are in a spiritual battle. And because we are in a spiritual battle, we don't fight with earthly weapons. We fight with spiritual weapons. We fight with the weapons that God has given us. We fight with the gospel and and with prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit. On a day that we have celebrated a baptism, it is so important that all of us remember this. How important it is that what we care most about is praying for our children. Praying for their eternal souls. That what we care most about is making sure that our children hear the gospel. And that they see in us a genuine love for Christ and for his church. There is an unseen spiritual battle. We're in it right now. We're in it right now. Do we understand that? And are we ready and willing to fight with the weapons God has given us? Preaching and prayer. The second thing is this. The story of Balak and Balaam and the talking donkey are a reminder that no one can reverse the blessing of God. God set his blessing on Israel. God set his blessing on his people. And and there was nothing that that a pagan king or a super sorcerer could do to change that. Fast forward 3,500 years, and the same thing is true today for us. Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 8 that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ. There is nothing that can reverse God's blessing upon us. If you are in Christ by faith alone, you are secure. No one and nothing can change that. 
If anyone tells you anything different, if, if anyone comes to you and says, oh, you better be better, you better be a better Christian, you might lose your salvation, don't listen to that person. They are a false teacher. Christian, all of God's promises to you are yes and amen in Jesus. What that means is that they are sure to come to pass. God's promises to his people, to those who believe in him, will never fail. Didn't matter what Balak did, didn't matter what Balaam did, they could not reverse the blessing of God. At the end of every worship service here, you, you hear me pronounce the benediction. When I, when I first went to Reformed Church, I thought that's really odd. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I knew it came out of Scripture, but, but to see the pastor raise his hands and, and pronounce these words out of Numbers or 2 Corinthians was very strange to me. Most of you grew up with this, or many of you did, but I didn't, and, and I didn't really understand it at first. But, but as I came to understand what it meant, It meant a lot to me. You hear these words every Sunday. These aren't my words. This isn't my blessing upon you. This is is the word of God. God is the one pronouncing this blessing upon you. And Christian, he will never change those words to a curse. That's what the story of Balaam and his talking donkey teach us. God's blessing is upon you and he will never turn that to a curse. What a comforting truth that is. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you give to us many wonderful and precious promises. Father, we pray that we would embrace these promises by faith and that we would know the joy of belonging to you. We thank you for our Savior who took the punishment that we deserve so that we may live. We pray this in Jesus' name.